0: Right, you're listening to the One Two Three Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Wednesday afternoon, and I'm really excited to welcome back on the program the one and the only Cruze McCalligan for this week's midweek audio column. Cruz, it's good to hear your voice. How are you doing?
1: Good. It's a very blustery day today. It I is hope you're safe, comfortable inside. Yes.
0: <laughs> it's got to be the the longest T three I've ever seen.
1: Just, it has gone on a while, hasn't it, actually? It
0: really has. We thought, you know, we were all ready, just in case if, if the weather goes bad and then uh, goes to t- T8, Phil was on standby and they just kept sort of postponing and postponing the T3. First it's till 10, then it's till 2, then it's till 6. And now mm. it's, yes, yeah, so we just don't know where the wind will blow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I appreciated that rhyme a lot more than you realise. so a good rhyme
0: what have you got for us this afternoon, Cruz?
1: Um I wanted to talk about ice. Oh. Um not as kind of like a um drug PSA, no. but in terms of frozen water, let's
0: <laughs> frozen water, ice. Frozen um, water. I, li- I like that. Water. You know, I'm a big fan of, of ice, the frozen water uh, variant, especially uh, during the hot summer months in Hong Kong. I, I'm an ice person. I, I like adding ice to my drink. But in Chinese medicine, they always say, don't add so much ice. It's not so good for your for your chi or not so it's too cooling for the body.
1: Yes, see, I think that's I would be told off so many times by a Chinese medicine practitioner because I love ice, especially in the last few months with the heat we've had in Hong Kong. If I have ice in a drink, I am such a happy clam because (laughs) I am finding it one of those things where you just want some ice. You just want to cool down a bit.
0: Absolutely.
1: And it it made me think a little bit as well about just, um, you know, I don't know about you, but I've definitely like given up my hot drinks for cold drinks over the last couple of months just because, um, you know, the weather has been so warm. And I do find myself getting really disappointed if I go and get a, a cold drink from somewhere and just watching how quickly the ice melts and I don't have a time to <laughs> drink it before it becomes watery. Oh, watery,
0: exactly. Yes, I yeah. feel the same way. i def- um, definitely an, an ice fan.
1: But I was just thinking about it because ice is incredibly important to life as we know it, actually. Um, not necessarily the ice in your cup, but the ice on our planet. Um, we depend on ice. It provides most of the world's freshwater supply. It keeps our sea level, um, our global sea levels from rising disastrously. And it gives us vital data about the past and future climate. It's a really interesting thing, ice. So I thought I'd look into it a bit more. So firstly, there's a really cool word for what we call ice on Earth. Um, If we're talking about ice on Earth, there's different words for ice on other planets. But here on Earth, we're talking about the cryosphere, right? So the frozen water part of the Earth system. Um, And this comes from the Greek word cryos for cold. Right? Now, it doesn't just include types of frozen water, but also includes permafrost, which is soil that has existed below freezing for extended periods of time, but doesn't necessarily have any water in it. So like permafrost, you might be um, familiar with. A lot of people make quite incredible ancient discoveries in permafrost because it preserves things really, really well. Mm-hmm. So that's what we call ice on Earth, the cryosphere. Now, if we look at this um, in a kind of an interesting way, water is actually more dense than ice, right? So they might be made of the same stuff, but the molecules arrange themselves in different ways depending on whether they're a liquid or a solid state. In liquid water, molecules are able to fill in gaps and pack themselves in more closely and spread out, um, but... In ice, they have a more of a crystalline structure, which is why they're less dense and why they float in water, Hmm. right? That's why they float. It's also why if you put a can of Diet Coke in the freezer and forget about it, it will explode. (laughs) um, Speaking from experience there. uh, Yes, many many experiences. Um, So that's really interesting. Now, we have a lot of different names for ice, but it's um, it's people... um, Sea ice alone, so like frozen seawater, comes in a load of different varieties. And uh, the Arctic and the Antarctic Sea have their own distinct vocabularies. So there's all these different words that people use to distinguish like an iceberg from an ice foot, from a flow, from all these different things.
0: yeah. There are different. Yeah, I've heard of ice foot and iceberg.
1: Exactly. And so um, uh, there's actually a group of people called the Inupiaq of Alaska who have a hundred names for ice. But that's, of course, because of how important it is to them. So their survival requires expert knowledge of all the different characteristics and behaviors of frozen water in all its different variations. So like they need to know if something is like overhanging ice, soft ice, hard ice, all these different sorts of things. It's really critical to the way they live, Mm. which is really interesting. Um, Now, uh, you might have heard of dry ice before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it got very trendy, like storing ice cream and things like that.
0: But that's not not water.
1: No, it's not. It's made of frozen carbon dioxide, which can change from solid to a gas at room temperature and pressure without going through a liquid state. So that's why it's really, really useful at keeping things cold. Um, you know, so that's really cool. Now, one thing I have in the past done in a co- column on refrigerators and refrigeration. Um, but, of course, a really important use of ice is for food preservation. Um, like, can you imagine, like, just being able to keep food from rotting is a huge breakthrough in kind of civilization. Mm. Um, and the uh, And the idea of using uh, ice for food preservation has been around for millennia. So like a lot before that, people did things like canning things and salting things and drying things. But the most effective method was to keep food cool with blocks of ice. And so in the early 1800s in the U.S., ice harvesting became an industry where there'd be um, horse-drawn ice cutters pulled thick blocks of ice from frozen lakes for use in insulated ice houses and cellars. Right, and then by the uh, end of the 19th century, people had like ice boxes at home and electric refrigerators and things like that. But it was a really interesting development that there was this entire industry that um, was was, um, built around providing ice so that people could preserve food. So that's really fascinating. We're gonna talk about that very briefly later because of course in Hong Kong, we have Ice House Street, which has its own incredible history (laughs) that I'm gonna go into in a minute. Greenland has an ice sheet that contains 10% of the world's glacial ice, and this is what we're worried about because this is what's melting. Um, So if it melts, it contains enough water to raise ocean levels by at least 20 feet, so if that was, um, if every glacier and ice sheet on Earth melted, it would raise ocean levels by 260 feet. It's really hard to visualise that, but just know it's terrifying, <laughs> and that's why people are, are really worried about climate change and the rate that ice is is melting. Um, and the rising there,
0: of the sea levels, especially as well. Absolutely, yeah.
1: absolutely. Um, of course, as I mentioned, like, more than two thirds of Earth's fresh water is stored in glaciers. So, melting glaciers aren't just a problem for glaciers. The loss of all that ice will affect the global water cycle and have a big impact on water supply and quality, energy generation, and also extreme weather. So, that's like, something we're already starting to see around, around the world. Terrible. Yeah. Um, if- when we talk about like the other thing of like ice kind of holding secrets is um, ice cores. Have you ever heard about ice coring? No. So this is really fascinating. So glaciers are a really amazing resource of information about conditions on Earth over hundreds of thousands of years. So climatologists do this thing where they go to like a glacier and they drill a cylinder shaped sample of ice, like, like a tube, like sticking a huge tube down into the ice as far as it can go. And when they pull it all out, it basically has preserved all these different layers uh, that can tell stories about like forest fires or volcanic activity or ice ages or anything. <gasps> trapped in the ice
0: it made me think of the line in frozen how ice stores memories
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes it's exactly like that (laughs) it's exactly like that well not exactly like that obviously there's a bit of poetic license in the film frozen but yes absolutely and there's um there's like a national ice core laboratory in the u.s that has seventy thousand ice samples that try to piece together a picture of the earth over long periods of time which is absolutely amazing um of course, like a lot of the uh, the best kind of, as I said, like frozen things, freezing things is a good way of preserving them. And um, the best uh, freeze, frozen, like if we have like mummies or like well-preserved um, skeletons or creatures or animals, um, they're really well-preserved when they're preserved in ice. So it's pretty amazing that you can have a a lot of people who will discover, um, for example, that there's the Otzi, the Iceman, that was discovered in the Alps near the Austria-Italian border in 1991. It was a 5,300-year-old corpse of a man, and it looked pretty good considering it was 5,300 years old. You you wouldn't have thought it was as old as it was. So it can be quite a remarkable thing in, in that way. Um now exactly. sorry go ahead yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. go 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 on I'm
1: fascinated
0: about it. I had no idea ice was so interesting
1: Oh, it's really fascinating, Um, and of course, like another thing, you know, another benefit of ice is that it can—it reflects a lot of the sunlight. Obviously, when we think about ice, it's quite bright. We think about people who are lucky enough to do lots of skiing or snowboarding; they're always wearing glasses because sun bounces off the white ice, white snow, and ice. um, You know, it's bright, and that's reflecting sunlight. It's it's a way of cooling our planet by having ice on our planet. Um, So, it's a really important part of of our like of we depend on life. We de- life depends on ice, which <laughs> is a weird, <laughs> a weird statement to say. But as I very mentioned dramatic. in Ho- here in Hong Kong, um, it's uh, very interesting. So if we go back to like Hong Kong's kind of British colonisers, um, when they first come, came to Hong Kong from like the United Kingdom, I guess they were probably all sweating buckets because it's really hot here. Right? <laughs> it's humid and it's sticky and it's hard to get over it. Um, and so of course. Um, for a lot of pe- uh, a lot of these pe- um, people who were here in Hong Kong from other places who were finding it really hard to escape the heat, as we know, they all made their gigantic homes on the peak so they could be a little bit higher and a bit cooler up the hill um, but um, that wasn 't a possibility for everyone, but the only solution they kind of had to hong kong 's stifling summers was ice, um, and so they had um, they by the 1840s, there was no way of freezing water in our city. Like, if you imagine it, like there's no technology to freeze water, so can you imagine just having just? – it'd be so hot all the time, you, you just couldn't get something nice and cold and icy. So, instead, ice had to be imported from North America to Hong Kong, brought over on large ships um, where it was stored at the settlement's first ice houses. Um, and so that's why we have, like, you know, Ice House Street, because that was one of those places that these huge blocks of ice that were brought over from um, other countries, which is just <laughs> mind-blowing in itself. Exactly. Cause it's like you... the ultimate luxury. <laughs> <laughs> I um, would
0: imagine it'd melt, but I suppose if you've got such a big block of it, then... It
1: would, it would take a while, I think. Exactly, yeah, yeah, I think it would. Um, and, of course, uh, for the, 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 this was... Um, this this happened in about um, 1845. Now, about a, d- a decade later, ice started entering Hong Kong from northern China, where which feels like a lot more economical. <laughs> it's a bit closer than North America, and it was harvested from frozen lakes and rivers. Um, and so, they like people. Was, this was a whole industry, and this is why um, they created this uh, cold storage warehouse to, to store all this ice, which was Ice House Street. That's the location we know in Central, um, where the um, you know, where the uh, uh, Foreign Correspondents Club is today, right? So this was um, this kind of thing about this sort of ice as a commodity, which is such a bizarre thing to think about, you know, like it's like it can fall from the sky in total abundance, like we've seen today intermittently during this typhoon, how much rain we've had, but yet it's just in that form, in the form of an an ice cube, it is such a luxury. Um, So it's quite remarkable that this sort of happened. And so um, while there's, like, this uh, this idea that in Hong Kong it was this real luxury thing for, you know, these British colonizers because, you know, I guess that was important to them to put money and resources into ICE, um, what's really interesting is that it definitely... Um, it became an exclusively expatriate thing for decades and as you said culturally in chinese culture you're not really meant to have that many cool things right you're meant to have warm things yes. so, you know right so it, it makes too sense cooling
0: for the body it's not so good upsets the balance
1: exactly so it can it makes sense okay they like you know just just the expatriates who had their ice cubes it's like fine well nobody really wants them anyway mate but the point was that um this also became interesting with cold storage because this came became common in affluent households and when like people started importing meat and fruit for kind of big british banquets um with cool drinks and everything else um but of course local diets didn't require these things and it's funny because even today people Uh, local Hong Kong people, you know, you shop regularly, you don't bulk buy stuff to stick in a freezer like you would in like a Western country. You go to the market every day and get it fresh, right? You know, you don't necessarily have to refrigerate things. And I've had quite a few friends in Hong Kong who've lived without refrigeration. Have you had the same? Yeah,
0: I have. And I can't imagine how they live...
1: Yeah, I don't know how they do either, but it makes sense. If you're just buying what you need on the day, it's ice a culture, you know, we have a, that's, that's what we do. You don't waste what you have, you eat what you've got when you've bought it. That's true, um, yes. And so, but of course, by the early 20th century, ice was not going to remain this sort of British exclusive thing. It entered Cantonese cuisine and culture through bingsuts, right? So like... Um, that's right. As, like yep.
0: um, like uh, there's Chinese ta-tan-tang and bing-sat. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, so this is where, you know, everyone would go and have a nice iced cold drink. Um, but uh, of course, people forget now, but Hong Kong used to exist without air conditioning. Um, <laughs> and so uh, electricity was very scarce. Nobody had refrigerators. The idea that the, that the height of summer, you could walk into a place and get a cold drink would have been just mind-blowing. whether you were local or expatriate or whatever, just that the heat of the summer that you could have a nice cold ice drink would have been mind-blowing. And at the peak of their popularities in the 1950s and 60s, these ice houses um, throughout Hong Kong were really important in terms of helping industrialize the city because for hundreds of thousands of Chinese laborers who returned to Hong Kong after the 1941-1945 Japanese occupation or who arrived in the colony to, like, you know, Hong Kong as a colony then to kind of work in its factories, like things that offered more than just a place of respite from a hard day work. You know, they were really, like... This was a delight, you know, that you could have like a pineapple bun and a delicious cold drink was just incredible. It would have been incredible for these people who were working so incredibly, incredibly hard.
0: Exactly. Oh, I miss. Yeah, we have Bing Sat as well uh, down in Kowloon Tong and and some in Lok Fu as well. They're they're making a bit of a comeback. I feel well, some are disappearing. I have to say, but they're, they're quite popular amongst younger people as well.
1: I think they would be. And I think that when, you know, I think that's a beautiful thing about Hong Kong is that we're seeing this like resurgence of younger generations appreciating these elements of our culture and our history, which might not be totally obvious, you know, <laughs> like... Um, if you know what I mean. And something like a Bing set is exactly that. It's this incredible, like, um, icon of kind of community and refreshment and hospitality and, and people like, you know, having this wonderful feeling and experience in a very simple way that I definitely can see has coming back because there is this kind of nostalgia for sort of old Hong Kong, um, which is quite interesting. Exactly. Um, and, I, and I think there's lots of designers and cool people in Hong Kong who are kind of making that possible as well. You know, like, you're, you know, you're bringing this, you're kind of looking, um, I love seeing kind of design houses or fashion designers or, or um, home designers or whatever, <clears throat> really looking back into Hong Kong, being like, what are some of the things about Hong Kong that kind of make us this really unique place? And I think that, that being so kind of like an iced drink, like a, an iced icy cold soy milk like it makes me nostalgic you know like uh, an iced red bean drink or something oh, it makes yeah. me really nostalgic and yes. really like oh yes that's so that's so hong kong it's just like a taste of home right exactly
0: it's like um and, and they and they crush up the ice as well and they pour the the red bean on top of it with the coconut <sighs> milk so
1: yummy delight it's a delight um and yeah and i always yeah i think it's that um it's that the way that like in Hong Kong we have these kind of like little comforts which might not be so grandiose or um, well expressed overseas but to to local Hong Kong people it's just like yeah this is a taste of a real taste of home so even though the, the British might have introduced ice to Hong Kong it was definitely Hong Kongers who democratized it and made cold drinks accessible to all. So that now we can always have a delightful selection of cold drinks. Um, but, yes, yeah, so that's ice. So that's made me very uh, keen to go out and try a lot more different kind of exciting ice beverages at the height of summer. I've been like, yep, let's try this. Nice, refreshing drink. Um, I have a couple of quotes we can finish on today. Yes, please. Um, So the first one is from the author Haruki Murakami, who wrote in Blind Willow, Sleeping Woman, that ice contains no future, just the past sealed away. As if they're alive, everything in the world is sealed up inside, clear and distinct. Ice can preserve all kinds of things that way, cleanly, clearly. That's the essence of ice, the role it plays. Wow, I thought it that was That's lovely. Pre- pretty deep. Yeah, I thought it was lovely, and then, and then this other one, which is interesting um, to think about, because when we talk about ice in Hong Kong, it's obviously the ice we have you know, within the food and drink we're consuming, or in our refrigerators. It's not something we have environmentally. You know? It's not like, you know, you're going to go and see a glacier in Hong Kong, or you're going to get the frost on a hill every few years with everyone racing up to try and find it. But it's not something we have in our environment. But I thought this is a really lovely quote from um, Robert McFarlane, who was talking about the role of ice in other societies. And he said, Ice has a social life. Its changeability shapes the culture, language, and stories of those who live near it. Mm. And I thought that was quite remarkable because, of course, for so many places in the world, that ebb and flow of seasons includes the appearance right. of ice. Exactly. Right? We don't really have it here in Hong We don't now. have that, no. We just have it in our beverages.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or in our fridge. I remember yeah. I used to always <laughs> want to see snow and ice. My grandma would be like, just open the freezer. <laughs> Yeah, she's a wise
1: woman though because yeah it would work yes
0: well cruz thank you so much for your time this afternoon really enjoyed this this fascinating chat on ice i had no idea there was so much to learn about it I, i'll I'll look at the block of ice very differently in my drink from now on <laughs> thank you so much and i look forward to more chats with you next wednesday thank you see you see you and a quick look